0: So we're still in First Timothy. We're in chapter 3. So let's read First Timothy 3, 1 through 13. I'm reading in the New Living Translation. This is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be an elder, he desires an honorable position. So an elder must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home, And he must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? An elder must not be a new believer because he might become proud, and the devil would cause him to fall. Also, people outside the church must speak well of him. So that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. In the same way, deacons must be well respected and have integrity. Integrity. They must not be heavy drinkers or dishonest with money. They must be committed to the mystery of the faith now revealed and must live with a clear conscience. Before they are appointed as deacons, let them be closely examined. If they pass the test, then let them serve as deacons. In the same way, which means everything I just said also applies to what I'm about to say. So in the same way, deacons, uh, uh, in the same way, their wives, also translated as the women or the women deacons, in the same way, their wives or women must be respected and must not slander others. They must exercise self-control and be faithful in everything they do. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and he must manage his children and household well those who do well as deacons will be rewarded with respect from others and will have increased confidence in their faith in Christ Jesus. That is quite a bit of valuable scriptural goodness. And, and I, and this is going to take us a few weeks to, to patiently go through and teach on those things. But I just kind of wanted to, to start us off with those things. As we're reading that passage, um, I want us to keep one thing, uh, in our minds. Um, when we read those things, that is a standard that Kara and I have to be held to. As as elders uh, are called and, and anointed in this church, that's a standard there to be held up to. We look at the standards of deacons, and there are standards that the Word of God tells us that we have to adhere to. Now, I'm very excited. Um, I mentioned it last week that we uh, will be setting in deacons and uh, we will be doing that uh, I want to say August 25th that will be our service Um, we were going to do it the 19th but um, since there's actually going to be kind of handful of people missing that day so we just wanted to kind of push it back so it'll be uh, August 25th and the uh, the couples that we are going to be setting in as deacons are Andy and Kim yes Michael and Tiffany and John and Sharon and we are we are thrilled at this. Um, so the timing of us teaching on this and preaching on this um, this is real good timing. So looking at the qualifications of the position of elder, it says those who desire uh, to be an elder uh, desire a good position. But that word is more accurately translated as uh, they desire a good work. And it's something to keep in mind when we talk about uh, the position of an elder the position of a pastor it's the work that we should desire to do it's the work of an elder that we should desire to do not the recognition or the authority or the praise or the honor or anything else that comes with it that is not what we aspire to that would be you know somewhat understandable but it still would be shallow right you know hey i want the honor that comes with being an elder well god bless you Um, I bet you do. (laughs) But there's work to be done. We should aspire to do the work of our king. To do his work. A person should desire to do the work that comes with being an elder. This is also true of a deacon. This is why character is so important. Character. With the exception of The gift of teaching, everything that we just read there in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 13, deals with character, not anointing, not anointing, not gifting, not spiritual strengths, character. You know, sometimes we we over-spiritualize the word of God. And, And this is one of those times. God has called us to be people of character. If you are going to be a leader, you have got to have character. No character, you have no business being a leader. What are you going to lead people to? What are you going to point them to? What are you going to demonstrate in your lives? The fire, lots of things come out in the midst of fire. And we have to be people of character because I promise you as a leader, we will go through the fire. We will go through the difficult things. And our calling has to be supported by character. I want to make something clear. Being a pastor or an elder isn't just a job or an honorable promotion, although it is both of those things. Being an elder, being a pastor is a calling. Period. It is a calling. God calls someone to be a pastor and an elder. And in obedience to that calling apostles anoint them to do that work this is done on behalf with the confirmation of the local church's elders this is what we see in scripture and this is what we do at this time at impact rock we only have one elder that's Karen and I why Why? Why do we only have one elder at this time? We've got some great people. We clearly have some great leaders. We've had a lead team that's demonstrated leadership. We've got people in the body that have demonstrated leadership. We're going to be setting in deacons. We clearly have leaders. So why do we only have one elder at this time? Why? How come I'm not standing here saying, hey, I want to introduce, we're going to to be anointing some elders and setting those in. easy answer because God hasn't called anyone at this time and hasn't made us aware of that calling at this time that's the honest simple answer God hasn't told us I have set that person apart for the work of ministry and the work of calling timing that's the simple answer here at impact rock as we believe it should be in, in the entire body of Christ We don't reward people's hard work or faithfulness with the calling of elder. That is not scriptural. You don't reward someone's hard work and faithfulness. Well gosh, they've worked their butts off for, you know, for ten years. Make them an elder. No! That's not scriptural. It is a calling and God calls and we confirm and then we bring an apostolic covering to anoint and to prophesy. That's scriptural. That's what we use as our example. So I want you to know where our hearts are. We we desire that and we have faith for that and we know that that will will happen. But guess what happens if we, just with good intentions, if we pick green fruit and then feed it to you? What's the result of that? A sick people. A sick people And a wounded leader. That is why we don't do that. That's why we patiently seek the Lord. Does that make sense? It makes a ton of sense. I don't have the authority. Check this out. I don't have the authority to assign elders. This ain't my church. It's his church. That's why he calls elders. That's why I confirm it And then we anoint them. Does that make sense? This is this is stuff that's good to know. This is not a one man show. Okay, I long for the day when when it is elders, elders ministering, and that's biblical. When we see throughout the Word when it talks about elders, it's always in the plural, elders. But we also above that we see obedience to God. Amen. I should have had a joke. I need to have baby. Let me get like a. I need to have a joke page where I'm be like, hold on one second, and I'll just scroll over and be like, a chimpanzee, an Ewok, and a zombie walked into a bar. I don't know. I mean, I need to have something just loaded for times like this, okay? All right. I'm not going to preach for 55 minutes, but you've got to stay with me for a while. <laughs> My responsibility, Kara's responsibility to you to train you up to disciple you, to be in relationship with you by consistently pointing you to Jesus and making everything about Jesus and searching his word together so that we can learn about Jesus. That's my responsibility to you. So before I teach on the qualifications of an elder or the qualifications of a deacon or kind of go about those things, um, there's a topic that the Lord just put firmly on my heart that we need to go over first. We must first look at the theme of oneness. And to do that, we must go back to Genesis to see God's original intent. That's, that's a unique phrase, God's original intent. Jesus uses this phrase, and it's in regard to oneness. Just, just so that, you know, there were, there's no questions about, okay, what's he building up to? What do they believe as far as oneness? I believe that we, are one and that we are one in all that we do we see the example of one flesh and the use of one flesh used multiple times in the word of God and as one with oneness we minister together we walk together we serve together we worship together we love together we are one and so thus, that's what we believe and let's look at the word of God Genesis chapter 2 18 through 24 says this Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But still there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. God's creative work was not complete until he made woman. And how do we see that he made woman? How do we see that he made man? Dust of the earth, right? How do we see that he made the animals and the birds? Dust of the earth, right? We just read it. How do we see that God made woman? From man. Isn't that interesting? He could have made woman from dust of the earth just as so he had done from, for man and just hit, so he had done from all the other living creatures, but that's not what his purpose was. We see even in the creation of woman, what was God's purpose? Oneness. Oneness. That they would be one. Have you ever wondered why God did this? Unity. Oneness. Demonstration of what he desires for us and demonstration of what we have in him. Throughout the Bible, God treats this partnership very seriously. The goal in marriage? Oneness. A partnership that provides help and strength in fulfilling God's calling. The purpose of marriage. What's God's calling? Look out there. Have dominion over all of it. Be fruitful and multiply. God's calling and purpose for us was dominion. That we walk in dominion. And that we be fruitful. That our lives bear fruit. That is a calling that we have as Christians. You know what? As Christians, it is not enough that we are faithful. It is not. It is not enough that we are faithful. It is not enough that we come here every week. That is not enough. We are called to be fruitful. We must be faithful and fruitful. Our life must bear fruit. You know, we do not, we have not been given the position of judge. We cannot judge one another. But you know, the scripture does say that we can look and we can judge fruit. We can identify fruit. We are called to be fruitful. A fruit will be representative of the tree it came from. Oneness. In Genesis chapter 1, we see that God made male and female, both in his image. Was either male or female made more in God's image than the other? No. From the beginning, God places both man and woman at the pinnacle of his creation. Neither sex is exalted, neither sex is depreciated. Let's look at Genesis 1, verses 26 and 28. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. To reign over something means to have absolute control and authority over it. And this is what we were given. This is what we were given. Mankind was given. Friends, let's take note of something. When did God give Adam the command to have dominion over the whole earth? When did God give the command to Adam to govern the whole earth? Was it when man was alone? It was not. It was after he brought Eve. After God gave woman to man, then he called them to this command it was after they were one that God gave them both the command to reign to have dominion to fill the earth and to govern it God's original purpose revealed in the first chapter of the Bible uh oh you know you must not be reading from the king's English what's one of them fancy translations what we... Not every translation says the same thing at all it all says that this is, this is the word of God You want to know how God felt about this? We just look to verse 31 of Genesis 1. Then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. An evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. He looked over all that he had made and said, it was very good. Prior to this, he hadn't hadn't declared a very good. He declared good. It is good. It is good. It is good. But after he created oneness, after he created man, woman, and gave them this commission, he says, Ooh, this is very good. This is very good. In telling us about the creation of the world, there was actually one time when God looks and says, This isn't good. Did you know that? We read it. In Genesis 2.18, he looked and saw that man was alone. And what did he say? That's not good. That's not good. Then he created woman. Genesis 2.24 says this. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. At first glance, these words probably mean nothing to us. I mean, heck, we've heard them at every wedding we've ever been to our whole life. Like, wow, that's great. That's the wedding verse. Yay! The wedding verse about one flesh. Must be talking about the honeymoon night. No. It's it's talking about one flesh. It's talking about being one. It's talking about oneness. And it wasn't just listed there in Genesis. Both Jesus and Paul quote this scripture. Let's see what they have to say in the context of which they have to say it in. Matthew 19, 4 through 8. Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no man split apart what God has joined together. That's not just something the preacher says at the wedding either. This is Jesus then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away they asked these are the religious religious leaders the Pharisees Jesus replied Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts but it was not what God had originally intended God's original purpose it was not what God had originally intended God originally intended oneness. So what does Jesus say here? Jesus says, I'm trumping what Moses said. I'm trumping what the law says, because when it comes to my father, he gets his way. And so I'm declaring this is what God intended. Speaking to the religious leaders, he said to them, this is just a way to satisfy your hard hearts. This is just a way to satisfy your wicked desires. And I'm putting an end to it. See, the reason Jesus said that is because Jewish Jewish men could divorce their wives for any reason. And this is what the Pharisees were trying to catch him in. And this is what Jesus put an end to. Men, how would you like it if our wives had the trump card that as soon as we put on five, ten? 15 pounds they said sorry you don't look like the guy I'm married I'm divorcing you that's not hyperbole folks I'm not exaggerating Jewish men had that right Greek men had the right Roman men had that right why do you think Jesus comes and addresses it and has to talk about the issue of oneness what about Paul what was Paul talking about in quoting this scripture Ephesians 5. In the same way, this is verses uh, 28 through 33. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration on the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. I do something unique, uh, and perhaps you know one or two or more of you do the same thing. I include my body in every important function, I include my body in breathing. I include my body in all brain activity. Some of you have questioned that before, but it's not true. I always include my brain. I include my body in the circulate. I'm being facetious. Why would I not include my wife in crucial life functioning activities when we are one. Ephesians four says this, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with one another, making an allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace, peace, For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father, who is over all and in all and living through all. Verse 11 says this, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, Instead... We will speak the truth in love growing in every way more and more like Christ who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. I want you to know in, in teaching and preaching on leadership, I could have I could have chose the topic of headship because you know what? We believe in headship. We talk about the body. We believe in headship. Christ is the body of the church. And in the family, the, the husband is the head of the family. In my family, in my marriage, I am the head of the family. We believe in this. It is scriptural and we believe in it. But my friends, far too often, we've used... Uh, Headship as a trump card over oneness. What does that mean as the head? I'm responsible to God. It starts with me. The things that flow through my family, I am the genesis of it. When push comes to shove, if we're if we're at an impasse and a decision has to be made, and it has to be made right now, which we found normally that's not the case, normally when we're at an impasse, we just say, okay, let's just take it to prayer. Let's just... Ask the Lord to have his way. We don't got to make this decision now. And we'll come back and we'll talk and we'll pray and we'll make a decision. And we normally do that together. That's the honest truth. Huge majority of the time we make that together. But there are times when that decision has to be made now. Guess who makes that? Kara. I'm just kidding. Uh, I make that. Why? Because we believe in headship but we believe in oneness and we see it in these scriptures. There's one Lord. There's one faith. There's one God and Father. There's one church. So how can we bisect His one body? How can can we bisect it and say, uh, for this portion of the body, women, you can only uh, minister or affect this portion? that contradicts oneness that that contradicts the scripture we are all one what did Paul say in Galatians 3 verse 28 there is no longer Jew or Gentile slave or free male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus one body not two or three there is not a female body and the male body we are one body When it comes to the gifts, God alone chooses whom to call and whom to give gifts to. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 says this. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. He alone decides which gift each person should have. I got a question this is just for the men men how many of you guys believe that you've got a gift of teaching that you just you can explain the word of God it might not be in a big corporate setting maybe it's just a one on one or maybe you have your niche and it's you know in a, in a work environment but how many of you guys believe men how many of you believe you have the ability to teach just raise your hand you have the gift to teach okay thank you women same question why wouldn't I ask you the same question Women, how many of you feel like you have the gift to teach? You have the ability to express and to convey and to teach and to shed light on the Word of God. Thank God for that. One body. He distributes the gifts, right? He alone, right? Peter was pretty astounded by this when he had a nap. Lord showed him a dream blankets came down I, th- I think it wasn't blankets at all. I think it was tablecloths because there was all this food and God's like take and eat and he's like no it's unclean and God's like don't anybody call unclean what I have made no man call unclean what I have made clean the Gentile man's going to come to you you're going to go minister to them Peter went to the house of Cornelius they were all saved they were all baptized they were all baptized in the Holy Spirit they all spoke in tongues they were like Peter, Peter went back to the other disciples going what can I do God gave it to him. He didn't, he paid no regard for my prejudices. No regard at all. And he gave him the same thing he gave us. How cool is that? How cool is it that God pays no regard for our prejudices? Ephesians 4, 16. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. What a great scripture. Acts chapter ten, in reference to what I just said about Peter coming back from the house of Cornelius, then Peter replied, "I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism; in every nation He accepts those who fear Him and do what is right." In two weeks, uh, friends of ours, Russ and Mary Doty, will be with us, and Russ will be preaching. And Russ is awesome. Uh, I'm so looking forward to it. And Russ was telling me a story. And, you know, he was talking to somebody and someone said, well, I don't know, you know, the church has just hurt me so bad. And so Russ goes, I am so sorry. What, what did I do? Please let me know so I can make it right. They're like, well, you didn't do anything. And he goes, okay, well, what did Jesus do to hurt you? And They said, well, Jesus didn't do anything, you know. He goes, okay. So I didn't do anything, and I am a member of his body. I'm a member, vital member of his church. So I didn't do anything. Jesus, who is the head of the church, didn't do anything. So let's just be honest, and let's just call it like it is. A leader hurt you. Not the church, not the body, not Jesus. A leader hurt you. And so that person said, yeah. My friends, when we talk about leadership... We do not take leadership lightly. It is a responsibility. It is a high responsibility and a high calling. That calling can be used or that calling can be abused. As a leader, God gave me something amazing to help qualify me to do this work, to help equip me to do this work, to to be a leader, to be a good leader, to be a great leader. Do you know what that is? The artist formerly known as Kara Camille Johnston. He gave me Kara. My friends, this is the honest truth because I've known me my whole life. You, you wouldn't want single 25-year-old Mark Harper up here pastoring you. The deficits in my life were obnoxious and obvious. So what does he do? He gives me a helper who makes me a better man and points me to Jesus. And I point her to Jesus and I make her a better woman. And those deficits I have, they just... They just fit, like a puzzle piece. Why? Oneness. It's God's purpose. It's God's plan. The areas where I lack grace. If I'm with you and I'm lacking grace, it's not you getting kicked under the table, it's me. Kara's kicking me and I'm like, alright, I gotta have grace, gotta have grace. Oneness. So when we talk about leadership, I promise you, my friends, I'm a much better leader over the last 15 years than I was any time prior. Oneness. What do we believe about leadership? We believe what the Bible says. And one of the things that it says was that his original intent was oneness. Why do you think the enemy tries so hard to bring division? Why do you think the devil comes so hard to disrupt God's oneness? Why do you think he comes at marriages so hard? Anybody, Any marriage exempt from the statement I just made? He attacks us tooth and nail. Our marriages are always under attack. Why? He despises oneness. Why? Because it reminds him too much of God. Our marriages, when we walk as one, it reminds the enemy of God. And the oneness that he sees in the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So the enemy attacks. My friends, why do you think he attacks leadership? To bring division and to come against oneness. Why? To come against God. Qualifications. There's got to be character. We'll get to that. But I figured I've already stirred the the hornet's nest the last three (laughs) three, last three weeks I might as well stay on the theme oneness oneness I don't exclude my wife from the things that are most important to me and I promise you the calling of God is oh so important to me but you know what it's not just important to me it's it's important to her because she's called too you see The Lord wouldn't call a husband to the church down the street and the wife to this church. He doesn't. He wouldn't do that. It doesn't demonstrate oneness. Oneness. I promise you, if it's a calling like being an elder, being a pastor, being a deacon, He doesn't just call one. He calls them both. The scripture shows the qualifications are both for male and female. If I... If I was this awesome, called, anointed man of God to could preach fire and thunder and, and demonstrate the gifts of God, but my wife could care less about God's people. She loves God, but God's people are just an incredible inconvenience. I'm disqualified. I don't care what the giftings are. I'm disqualified. I'm disqualified from doing the work. Why? because we are one and check this out he cares more about our marriage than he does about my ministry he cares more about our marriage than he does any of the ministerial things there's godly order what's that godly order this is first jesus has to be number one what is next this is next our marriage is next our marriage is more important to me than impact rock. Our marriage is more important to me than you. Our marriage is more important to me than my children. Why? Because of godly order. And trust me, you want it that way, my friends. We have to have it that way. Oneness. So if God cares that much about my marriage, why would I solicit division? By saying, baby, you do your thing. I'll do my thing. But you don't ask me about men's business. Don't ask me about my ministry things because I'm a man. And I won't ask about the teacup ministry because you're a woman. Come on. As leaders, we demonstrate and preach unity and oneness. And in doing so, what's the result? God's body is strengthened. Let's pray.